Get your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 4 and Romans chapter 12. Matthew 4 and Romans 12. And I'm going to continue this series, Gospel. And I'm going to ask you right now to do something. And that is, I want you, with everything in you, to pretend like you are so excited to be here. And I want you, yeah, I want you, with everything in you, to say that I'm going to engage with the Word of God and be transformed by it. Because I did not come today to a religious meeting out of religious obligation but I actually came to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit whereby I would leave here differently than the way I came in. That is actually what church is supposed to be. It is not supposed to be a religious meeting where we appease the gods so they don't jack with our stuff. That's not actually it. It is actually supposed to be when we come in with passion in our heart to meet with God, to have an encounter with him that moves us into some different way of living, thinking, or believing. And then we leave here changed to affect or infect is okay. Our influence, our impact the world around us. And I think the problem is we come to church with the wrong expectation. Sometimes we come to church with no expectation other than, well, we're supposed to go to church. And so I just want you to kind of change your faith a minute and change your expectation a minute. And I want to talk to you uh, from this series um, that we call the gospel. The gospel, very important word. Uh, most people have heard it, and I've said it almost every week in this series. But um, it's important that we understand what the word gospel means. And most people understand it means good news. But it's important that we understand what that good news is. And the reason is because any church that is worth their salt, as they used to say when I was growing up, any church that is worth, worth their salt, um, or any, people that, any person that's worth their salt, um, we, we would say we believe in what we call the Great Commission, right? Every church says, oh, we're doing the Great Commission. Now, some of them are lying to themselves, but every church says it, that this is what we're doing. Because I've been to those churches that say they're all about the Great Commission when really they're all about the potluck. Right? And nobody gets in their seat and visitors really aren't welcome. And no one's been saved in that church in 12 years or 30 years. And they're happy just the way it is. Like they've taken just as I am to just as I am without ever changing. Right? So... And, and so we, we would say as a church that we're supposed to be about the Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? Go and preach the gospel. Now, I don't like the word preach. Because when you hear the word preach, you think preacher. And you think, I'm not a preacher. And you think, that guy's a preacher. And all of a sudden, proclaiming the gospel has become a vocational idea instead of an individual responsibility. And so I like proclaim. So we said, go and announce or proclaim good news. But we need to understand what Jesus thought the good news was. Because for most people, we would say, hey, the good news is you can die and go to heaven. And, and that is, that's relevant. That is good news. Because for most of us, we will die. And when we die, where we go becomes very critical, crucial, and important. Right? And if there's only two options, hell and heaven, I'd rather settle now that when I die, I'm going to end up in heaven because hell does not sound fun to me. Right? I understand there may be a highway to hell, but there's also a footpath to heaven. I want to find the footpath. And so that, that's critical. But, but Jesus didn't preach that message. It's not the message he preached. He, he never one time said, hey, I want everybody to know if you have faith in me, you can die and go to heaven. Uh, Matthew chapter 4 is where Luke, uh, Jesus starts his earthly ministry. 
It's where he starts preaching, if you will, or announcing. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, And from this time on, so Jesus is about 30 years old, and for the next three years, he's going to be traveling around and preaching a message. He really only had one message. And, he, and this was where he started. He, he, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, most of us, and if you've been here, you've heard me say this, but let me catch everybody up. For most of us, we read that and we think that means change your behavior because dad's coming and he's mad. I grew up with a two for one deal. I don't know if you guys know what two for one. If mom spanked me, dad did too. Right? If a teacher spanked me, then dad did too. He, he wanted to put the amen on it. Right? And I know some of you are like, oh my God, you were spanked? Yes, that's what got hell out of me. Hell was beat out of me, and I'm thankful for it. I'm a better person. And if you want to raise, you know, a, a snowflake or a unicorn or a rainbow, that's your business. But my dad believed in the word of God. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction drives it far from him. My, my dad believed in the Bible. Spare the rod, spoil the child. My dad could quote all those rod scriptures. He, he didn't have a rod, he had a belt. Kind of sounded like he was pull, pull, pull starting a snapper when he pulled it out of the loop. You know? And so... But I remember my mom would say things like, you better straighten up because dad's going to be here in about an hour. And so when I heard this preached in church, I'm like, I know what that means. God's ticked and he's on his way. We need to straighten up. But that's not actually anything close to what Jesus was actually saying. It's not anything close. Because, see, Jesus is talking about a gospel that he is trying to declare. And it's the gospel of the kingdom. And so he was saying, repent. Why? But for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here was the idea that God created earth and he put Adam over it and he said, I want you to subdue it. That means take control over it, have dominion. That means essentially be the king of it. Once you have dominion, kings have dominion. That's where the word kingdom, the king's dominion, right? So God's actually saying, I want you to have kingdom. That word dominion could have easily just been translated kingdom. So God literally set man up to be the lowercase king. Jesus is the king of, that's not talking about he's the king over the king of France. Jesus is not worried about France. I mean, he is, but you understand what I'm saying. He's the king of kings. We are the royal priesthood. So we're the kings. We're the lowercase kings, but we're the kings. Right? You got to think about yourself differently. And so what happened is Adam was the king over the earth. Then Adam fell. Satan took the throne. And he became another little king, really. Right? And the kingdom of darkness now took over. And so up until Jesus comes, there's one earth and one kingdom on the earth, the kingdom of darkness, right? Because all kingdoms have to have land. The land is the power of the kingdom, right? Every war been fought was over. There you go. So Jesus' message is, hey, you need to change the way you think. Why? Because there's a new kingdom here. Why? Because the king's here. Right? So now there's one planet and two kingdoms. But now he tells us, my kingdom has all authority and all power. Right? Have all authority. So the kingdom of darkness still has a little power. Why? It still has a little control. still has a little land. 
That's why Jesus said the gates of hell can't prevail. Why? Because we're on a colonization mission to overthrow everywhere the kingdom of darkness has set up a stronghold. And what he's saying is you have authority to overthrow any place the kingdom of darkness is operating in your life or in your family. He does not have authority. Jesus said, I have all authority. So the kingdom of darkness could have, there we go. Simple math, simple math, right? If, if this one has a hundred percent, then this one can only have zero percent, right? I love math. And so that's, so Jesus is now announcing, he is starting his ministry and he starts by saying, Hey, there's another kingdom here. It wasn't here before. It's not been here since the fall, but now there's a kingdom here because the king is here. But then he says this, he says, but if this kingdom's going to do you any good whatsoever, you have to repent. Now we think repent means change your behavior, but changing your behavior doesn't really change much other than your behavior. And, and Jesus was not actually on a mission to get you to change your behavior. You just can't find that in anything that he preached about. You can find things like, I came that you had life. Why? Because there's a kingdom of death and a kingdom of life. I came that you had light. Why? Because there's a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. Right? I came that you would not be slaves, but sons. Why? The kingdom of darkness and slaves. The kingdom of God is all about sons. Right? So you can find those type of things, but you can't say where he said, I've come that you might act more churchy. Because that pleases the Father when you wear choir robes and sing and act churchy. You just can't find it. What he said is, this kingdom is not going to benefit you unless you repent. That word, change the way you think. Why? Because this kingdom thought, taught you to think a certain way. And for this kingdom to benefit you, you have to change the way you think. So in, in Romans 12, verse 2, Paul is talking and he gives probably the most critical verse on this concept in the New Testament. And he says, do not be conformed to this world, kingdom of the world, kingdom of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable and perfect will of God. By the way, just to help you with error, because I've heard this enough that it drives me crazy. God does not have three wills for you. Because I've heard people say, well, he has a good will, an acceptable will, and a perfect will. In other words, he has a permissive will, an acceptable will. I've heard people actually preach this, and it's insane. Um, God is not, not schizophrenic. He's, he's not crazy. He has one will. And usually when people say this, well, I know I'm not in the perfect will. I'm in the permissive. No, no, no. You're out of the will of God, and you're just trying to justify it. So repent and get back in the will of God. God's still where you left him. Okay? He didn't move. You can go right back. Okay. Just wanted to help with that. Anyways. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we need to talk about this. Two points really quickly. Number one, a renewed mind is what executes the kingdom of heaven. It executes God's will. A renewed mind executes God's will. Romans 8, 7 says something very interesting. It says that, that the carnal mind is enmity with God. Right? Romans 8, 7, it says the carnal mind is enmity with God. And then it goes on to say, for it can't be subject to the law of God. So it's not subject. So here's, here's the idea you need to understand. A carnal mind is an enemy of God. Is that what that says? Okay. Let me say it another way. Paul said, don't be conformed. 
but be transformed, what? Renewing your mind. Let me say it another way. A renewed mind is actually at war with the kingdom of God. An unrenewed mind. An unrenewed mind is at war with the kingdom of God. Your mind is either being renewed or it is at war with God in his kingdom. Why? Because an unrenewed mind cannot grasp or live by the law of God. In other words, an unrenewed mind will always commit treason against the king. Because it cannot grasp the law of the kingdom. An unrenewed mind will live by the law it's been taught. It cannot grasp the law of the kingdom. Okay, let me give you an example that will make some of you say, ouch, and some of you say, praise the Lord. And you can decide which ones. Tithing. Okay? Tithing. Here's what tithing says. Before you pay your bills, you give God the first 10% of all your increase. And tithing says that when you do that, God will bless and multiply the 90% to go farther than the 10%. Now, some of you in this room, you don't tithe. And here's why you don't tithe. Because you went to class and you learned math. And you read a problem that said if Sally has $10 and she gives away $1 and there's a bike that costs $10, can Sally buy the bike? And you said, no, she only has $9. Stupid Sally gave away a dollar. She hadn't given away a dollar. She could buy a bike. And so you don't tithe. Why? Because it's math and it doesn't make sense. Are you with me? And you're right, it doesn't make sense in this kingdom. It doesn't make sense to an unrenewed mind. But in this kingdom, it's the only thing that makes sense. It's the only way God works. Like This is where you start in this kingdom. And for those of us that walk on the wild side, we would not contemplate anything else. Because we'd say, oh, no, it doesn't make sense not to give the first dollar to God, Sally. Because if you'd given the first dollar to God, you might have a motorized bicycle. (laughs) Here's the thing. You cannot live by the laws of one kingdom and expect the benefits of another kingdom. This is why for some people the kingdom doesn't work for them. Because you cannot live by the law of one kingdom and expect the benefit from another kingdom. Right? Because, and, and here's the problem the carnal mind is the enemy. Um, when the Bible talks about a renewed mind, or, or when Paul says, be transformed by renewing your mind, transform. That word transform, the most similar word to it in the New Testament, is actually when Jesus took three of his closest followers onto a mountain, and the Bible says he was transfigured. That word transfigured is the same word transform, same root word. And what happened when he was transfigured? Well, Jesus, who, who looked like a Jewish guy, goes up on the mountain with his three closest followers and he is transfigured where all of a sudden he reveals himself in all the glory, splendor, and power of how he would or how he is in the reality of the kingdom, right? And like it was so good, Peter, who, who you know, I have a similar disease to Peter um, because sometimes I talk and then think. And I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Like, I should have thought about that. 
And so Peter's like, it's good for us to be here. No, duh, shut up. In fact, God told him to shut up. Listen to my son. Like, in other words, Peter, shut up. It's not your time to talk. You should have thought about that. And so when Paul's saying, I want you to be transformed, he's saying, hey, I want your mind to be able to grasp, see, and understand the reality of the kingdom, the glory and the splendor and the nature of the king. And when that happens, you're transformed because now you're receiving a different reality to everything that's going on. See, a renewed mind proves the will of God, proves the will of God. So what is the will of God? Matthew 6. When you pray, this is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. First thing Jesus actually tells us to pray. After a, after a, after a, a proclamation or acclamation of praise, the first thing he tells us to pray. Now, most of us, the first thing we pray, if we're being honest, we skip down to give us this day our daily bread, right? Because that's where we live in this kingdom. We're not sure if we're going to have daily bread. And that kingdom is never a question if we're going to have bread. In this kingdom, that's the only thing we worry about, right? But he said the first thing we're actually supposed to pray is your kingdom come, your will be done. What, what is his will? What is his will on earth as it is in heaven? What did he create man for? To take dominion over the earth so that earth would look like heaven. He wanted to colonize the earth with heaven. Heaven is the kingdom. Earth is the territory. So he creates Adam and says, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and take dominion. Have kingdom over it. And so Adam's role was to make earth look like heaven. Well, if you're God and you're not schizophrenic, you don't change your will. I'm the Lord, I do not. There you go, right? I'm the Lord, I don't change, right? That's why our offering box says you can't get into them. He doesn't make change, right? You just give. You don't make change. We don't make change here. So. <laughs> Anyways, so, so he says you have kingdom, and he doesn't change his will. He doesn't change his mind. And so Jesus comes and he says, hey, I've come, what? Brought a kingdom here. And this kingdom has all authority to colonize the earth. And now we are the people. The culture of the kingdom is represented in the people of the kingdom. We convey the culture of the kingdom, go into all the world. That's why we have to go. We have to carry the kingdom. We have to go. See, if we just stay, it doesn't happen. we got to go. See, we think coming to church is the religious obligation. No, coming to church is the means to the end. The end is not church attendance. The end is bringing kingdom to the earth. But we come, we have to gather to be sent. We have to gather to be empowered. We have to, like this morning, we have to gather to be refreshed, right? See, the problem is most church people think that this whole idea of doing the work of the ministry is my job. Because, well, you're the preacher. That's what we pay you for, do the work of the ministry. The problem is, Ephesians 4 says, my job is to convince you it's your job. <laughs> right? So my job, pastors, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, equip the saints, that's you. So if you didn't know that, you're a saint. Praise the Lord. You've learned two things today. You're a saint and a king. It's a good day. Right? I've already helped you. And my job is to equip you, what? To do the work of the ministry. What is the ministry? To ministry. Ministry, by the way, is to administrate. What's the work of the ministry? Administrating a kingdom. So you're here today to be empowered and refreshed to go administrate a kingdom outside these walls. Right? I've had people ask, you know, why are we going to have classrooms in our new church? No, we don't need classrooms. 
just for the kids. We don't need classrooms for the adults. We're not trying to bring everybody to the building. We're trying to send people out of the building. Like, we don't want life groups in the church. We want them in the coffee shop. Starbucks needs some Jesus. I'm telling you. <laughs> They're messed up. Right? So, so, <clears throat> so the will of God is on earth as, as it is in heaven. And he says, and, and when you're renewed, when, your mind, when you're transformed by renewing your mind, then you can prove the word, uh, prove what actually really, most, most versions now get this right, but it's approve, to attest to, to verify, right? Approve. Um, the Bible says that in Jesus, all the promises of God are yes and amen, right? We even sang that this morning, absolutely, in Jesus. So Jesus is the divine yes of God. He's the yes of provision. He's the yes of peace. He's the yes of health. He's the yes of salvation. He's the yes of prosperity. He is the divine yes of God, right? But the church is the amen, the let it be, or the so be it. See, God has actually restricted his activity to the prayers of men. God will not move more than you pray. That's worth saying again. Like, I didn't say that last night. I'm going to somebody write that down, hand that to me. God will not move beyond what you pray. He is the yes. He's the provision. But prayer is the means. We're the amen. God has restricted his activity on the earth to the prayers of men. He said, Adam, you take dominion. No, I'm going to take dominion. He said, you take dominion. Jesus said, you go and preach the gospel. We got to understand what God's part is and what our part is. And we need to understand Jesus is actually for now. He's finished with his part. He is seated. He is seated because he's done. Right? You ever had a hard day working in the yard? And then you finally finished. And you went inside and you got you some ice cold lemonade. And then you sat. Why? Work's over. Right? Jesus is seated. Why? Done his part. He's the yes. Now he's like, whatever's going to happen, it's up to the church to say amen. You have to say amen to his provision. Amen to his health. Amen to his peace. So let it be. So let it be. So let it be. Just like the man in the Bible. Let it be unto me according to your word. Just like Mary said. Let it be unto me according to your word. Church is the, the Jesus is the yes. The church is the Amen. We're the ones who approve, attest to, verify the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. So a renewed mind executes the will of God. Here's the second thing. A renewed mind must be chosen. Must be chosen. Uh, Jesus said, repent. Most people understand that when you start a sentence with a verb, there's an understood noun, which we would say an understood you, right? So if I said, run, the reason run can be a complete sentence is there's an understood you run. Stop. You stop. Does everybody understand this from like third grade or whenever we learned that? Okay. So Jesus starts with repent. What's he saying? You repent. What does repent mean? Change your mind on purpose. So what he's saying is you change your mind on purpose. Why? Because there's a kingdom here. You're going to miss it. It's at hand. In other words, it's within grasp, but you're going to miss it if you don't Change your mind. When Paul's talking to the Romans in Romans 12, verse 2, he says, don't be conformed, be transformed. He is implying that you decide whether you're going to be conformed or transformed. You can be conformed to, well, I've just got more month than I've got money. 
or you can be transformed into my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. You can be conformed. You get to choose whether you want to be conformed. Or, and, and Paul is almost, <laughs> to the Romans, he's almost not begging them, but he might use this word beseech. That's a good King James word. Beseech, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That's how Romans 12 verse 1 starts. So he is still beseeching. And I'm beseeching you, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed. How are we going to be transformed? By changing the way you think. In other words, you have to make a choice. See, we choose. We choose. Um, when it comes to renewing our minds, let me give you three concepts about renewing your mind because I always think I should tell you how this happens. The third one is the most powerful, but I'll start with the weakest and go to the strongest. How about that? I think the first thing is you have to inventory your thoughts. Your thoughts have three sources. I don't know if you know this. I'm not schizophrenic and neither am I. Your words have three thoughts. Your, your, your thoughts have three sources. <laughs> Your thoughts have three sources. Sometimes I sneak up on you with humor. <laughs> your thoughts have three sources. Number one, your thoughts can come from Satan. Ephesians 6 says, take the shield of faith and quench the fiery darts of the enemy. Um, his darts are always coated in doubt. The way you stop kingdom is doubt. Why? Faith appropriates kingdom. The renewed mind doesn't give you more faith. It just tells you what to do with your faith. It tells you what's possible with your faith, right? The way you stop kingdom is always doubt. And so these fiery darts are doubt. What are they doubts about? Doubt about what God is, doubt about what God will do, doubt about who you are. So you have thoughts that come from the enemy because Paul's saying, hey, fiery darts come from the enemy, right? Then you have thoughts that come from you, right? Psalm 139, David said, know my anxious thoughts, my anxious thoughts, anxious fear. We've not received the spirit of bondage again unto fear, but the spirit of adoption. So you have thoughts that come from you, and they will either be fear or adoption. So when he's saying, God, know my anxious thoughts, he's saying, I have thoughts in me that, that are not congruent with you. They're not coming from the enemy. I believed them. They're, now, they're down in my heart, and they come up. Right? I'm not good enough, right? There's something wrong with me. I'm broken. God can't use me. I have thoughts that come from me that are anxious thoughts. God won't come through for me, right? But then you have thoughts that comes from God. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts I have for you. The problem is not that God is not thinking about you. The problem is you don't know what God is thinking about you. David said it this way, your thoughts, I want to know your thoughts. Your thoughts towards me are more numerous than the grains of sand on a seashore. God has a lot of thoughts about you. You just don't know God's thoughts about you. Right? And so you kind of have these three categories of thoughts. And that's why Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4, he says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity, the obedience of Christ. Now, I want to go backwards and show you how this works. First of all, if you'll start, okay, obedience to Christ, come back to thought. Okay, it starts as a thought, then it turns into a high thing that's against the knowledge of God. So here's how the enemy works. He gives you a thought that's against the knowledge of God that elevates itself as above something else, right? And then it becomes an argument. In other words, this is strongly, passionately believed. And then it becomes a stronghold. 
And so you, you, how every stronghold starts is a thought. All right? Every stronghold starts is a thought that becomes, it's a thought that's against the knowledge of God that exalts itself, becomes an argument, and then becomes a stronghold. And so what Paul said, hey, if you're going to, if you're going to alleviate, if you're going to minimize, if you're going to mitigate strongholds, you got to start with bringing every thought captive. And again, notice he implies that's going to be your responsibility, not God's. Um, you get to choose what you think. You get to choose what you think. And what you think becomes knowledge. And what, you, what, what becomes knowledge becomes arguments. And what becomes arguments becomes a way of thinking. And you get to choose what you think. And so what he's actually saying is, hey, you, you cannot afford to have a thought in your head that is contrary to God's. You can't afford to think differently about you or about God or about anything that's different than what God thinks. Because if you have a thought that is contrary to his thought, you're on your way to a stronghold, which is a fortified way of thinking that is against the kingdom. And again, he applies this is something that you choose. That's why he says, whatever things are true and noble and just and lovely and virtuous, if they're of good report. And then he says, you think on these things. In other words, you get to pick. You get to pick what you think about. Um, brings me to the second one. So, so inventory your thoughts. Second thing is meditation. Meditation. That, that verse in Philippians 4, you know, whatever things are true and noble and just and virtuous, pure, of good report. The word actually says meditate, meditate. Now, meditate is different than just think. Because um, I was raised uh, when my grandfather had a farm, had cows. And this is the only, this is the best picture. It's kind of grotesque, but it's the best picture I can give you of meditate. It's cow chewing its cud, right? Because cows have different stomachs. And so what they actually do is they chew and then they swallow it and then they regurgitate it and they chew it again. And they swallow it, and then they regurgitate it, and they chew it again. Yeah, it doesn't sound great. What are y'all having for lunch? So, um, <laughs> not cows. <laughs> not salad either. <laughs> anyways, um, eat more chicken. All right, so anyways. Um, <laughs> and so what, what Paul's actually saying is don't just think, but but ingest it and then bring it up and think about it in a different way and ingest it and bring it up and think about it in a different way and keep deepening the thought on these concepts and ideas. Uh, Jeremiah 1.8, when God is speaking to, I'm not sorry, Joshua 1.8, when God's speaking to Joshua, says this book of the law will not depart out of, your, uh, out of your mouth, but you will meditate. By the way, did you notice it said it will not depart out of your mouth, not your mind? Your mouth says more about what you believe than your mind. So does your Facebook account. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. What? But you shall meditate in it day and night, and you'll be careful to do all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. Notice it says that the book of the law is in my mouth. That's, that's the word of God is in my mouth, and then I meditate. So I take it in, take it down, take it up, take it down, take it up, take it down, take it up. Right? See, I think too many times we read the Bible like it's Look Magazine and then we post it on Instagram so everybody knows we had our daily devotional. 
So anyways, and so, um, <clears throat> but, but what I endeavor to do is in my, in my time in where I read the Bible in the morning, um, I just try to find one verse that sticks with me. So I go about, I have a reading plan, but before I do my reading plan, I always ask God, God, is there a place you'd like me to read from today? And if not, I just go to my reading plan, right? And a lot of times I go to my reading plan, but sometimes like God's like, no, I want you to read Psalm 156. Okay, I'll read Psalm 156. And then I'll be reading Psalm 156, and all of a sudden this, this verse just jumps out of me. So I go underlining, because I like to read an analog Bible when I'm having my devotional time, because I'm old school. Because it's hard to underline. I started underlining on my iPad and messed up the screen. And so, <laughs> anyways. But I get, I get one verse or one thought, and that's kind of what I keep bringing up all day long. Right? God's my defender. God's my defender. He is my defense. He is my defender. I just think, what does it mean that God is my defender? What well, means I don't have to defend myself? Right? So today I don't need to defend myself from anybody, anything. I don't need to defend myself. In fact, if, if I start defending myself, I might get in the way of God's defense. Right? And start meditating on the word. Why? Because meditation is how I move the truth of God's word from my mind to my heart. And most people miss the kingdom by 18 inches, and that's exactly what Jesus was saying. Change the way you think. Why? Because God can't change the way you think, and you can't change your heart. But if you'll change the way you think, he'll change your heart. So change the way you think. Why? So you can get truth in your heart. The psalmist said, I've, your word I've hidden what? Not in my mind, in my... Romans 9 and 10 says, confess with your mouth and believe in your... As a man thinks in his... Right. You see what I'm saying? It's not as a man thinks in his head. Head is thought. Heart is belief. The way I get thought to belief is meditation. So inventory thoughts, meditation. Here's the last one, encounter. Encounter. See, the renewed mind is not about taking in new content and being able to, to disseminate it, right? Believe it or not, the renewed mind is, is not just being able to quote a scripture for every problem that someone else has. Right? I mean, that's not bad. I mean, you should be able to quote scripture, but that's, not, that's changing content, Right? Because we've all heard people quote scripture that we knew they didn't believe. It was just the right, well, you know, my God shall supply. You know, while they're, anyways, I won't get into that. While they're filling out a credit card app. Um, <laughs> sorry. Just pray for me. You know, or, well, you know, God works all things together for good. I guess this is just one of those things. And, and so we've heard people that have given us content without faith. And the way you give content without faith is lack of encounter. Because the renewed mind is not about disseminating content. It's not about taking in or changing content. It's not so much about changing what you think about as much as changing how you think. Changing how you see. It's seeing from divine perspective. See, it's, it's learning by revelation and experience to see from God's perspective, from a divine. In other words, I want to think the way the king thinks. Well, how do I do that? i got to encounter the king. Um, God spoke to Abraham and said, take your son Isaac up on this mountain and then kill him. And Abraham, because of his great faith in God, takes Isaac, binds him, puts him on the altar. Contrary to what most paintings show, uh, Isaac was probably 17, 18, maybe 20 years old. And then Abraham pulls the knife back. Now, the, 
God told him to offer him as a burnt sacrifice or a burnt offering. So why does he have the knife? Well, that's a mercy killing. He's going to slay him and then burn him. Right? I don't think he asked Sarah about this field trip <laughs> before, before leaving home. I don't think there was a conversation about that. And he pulls the knife back, and the angel of the Lord grabs his hand and says, Stop. And then God reveals himself. What does reveal mean? Pull back the curtain. In other words, God's always been. He reveals himself as a provider, as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Well, God didn't become a provider that day. He had always been a provider. But he revealed it by letting Abraham encounter something new about his nature. So Abraham, who had walked with God, had never experienced God as a provider. And so when God reveals, pulls back the curtain to reveal that he's a provider, he is not trying to expand Abraham's theology. My concern is that we have sacrificed the idea of encounter on the altar of doctrine. He's not trying to give Abraham a new doctrine, well, I'll provide. He's not trying to expand his intellect. God's not really that concerned with your IQ. What he's doing is he's revealing his nature and giving Abraham an opportunity to step into him and experience him as a provider. Your lack is actually an opportunity for God to reveal himself in a way that you step into an encounter and experience. An encounter that changes the way that you think. It changes the way that you believe. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people, my people perish for lack of knowledge. I don't think God is saying if we had more education, we wouldn't perish. If we had a better doctrine. The church of America today has more doctrine than we've ever had and less power than we've ever had. Is that okay to say? Well, I said it. I don't think that Hosea, is, God is saying to Hosea, if, if, if you could just go down and, and teach Israel some more doctrine, if they could get their tenets of faith just right, they wouldn't be perishing. If you could educate them, maybe get them to a good Bible school, they wouldn't perish. The word knowledge there is the same root word as when the Bible says in Genesis, and Adam knew his wife and she bore a son. I don't think Cain was born because Eve educated Adam on the reproductive system. Right? I don't think Eve sat down and said, you know, Adam, I'd like to have a son. So if you just sit down, I've got a few diagrams. The female reproductive system, male reproductive system, and essentially is how this works. And, and then all of a sudden she was pregnant. That's not how it worked. What it says is Adam had an experience with Eve that brought into being something new. And God's saying people perish, not because they're not educated, not because they don't have doctrine, but because they haven't had an encounter with me. You can only go so far on someone else's encounter. 
someone else's encounter doesn't really change how you view the world. Doesn't really change how you view God. You'll say, well, that's good for them. Glad they had that. And so encounter to me is one of the most effective ways of changing the way I think because it changes my perspective and shifts it from this kingdom to that kingdom. And if you study the Bible, you're going to find that most people in the Bible that God used all had one thing in common. They had some sort of encounter, and for some of them, it was many encounters. Right? I mean, if you read Genesis, you're going to see Abraham encountered God in Genesis chapter 12. He encountered God in Genesis chapter 15. He's going to encounter God again in Genesis chapter 17. Right? And then in Genesis 22 is when he actually offers Isaac. And again, has an encounter that, oh, God is the provider. In fact, I would say the life of the believer, if we're going to repent so we can see the kingdom, the life of the believer actually moves from one encounter to the next. And so the question I have is the burden that I have, and that is, when's the last time you pursued an encounter with God? Because really, that's why we come to worship. Believe it or not, that first 25, 27 minutes of our service is not, we're doing something until everybody gets here. That's really not what that's for. It's actually a time where we've said, we're going to press into an encounter. We're going to give opportunity for an encounter. Now, you, you need more than one time a week to have an opportunity for an encounter. Because Jesus said, repent. You cannot repent without revelation. God has to reveal. God cannot reveal without encounter. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is here, but you're going to miss it. Why are you going to miss it? Because you're not going to see it. Why are you not going to see it? Because God has to reveal it. Well, how does God reveal it? In an encounter. No one knew God wanted to save Gentiles, which I think for most of us in this room, that's pretty good news. Unless you're Jewish, that's pretty good news. No one knew that was supposed to happen until Peter was on a rooftop praying and had a vision from God of a big sheet with a lot of meat on it. Oh, God, give me that vision. Yes, Lord. Mm, I'm a carnivore, Lord. Mm -mm. I thank God for vegans. It means the rest of us are going to have more meat. Oh, praise And if we run out of meat and you're a vegan, you should watch your back. Anyways, um, <laughs> sorry. It's terrible. Anyways, um, <laughs> but here's, here's the burden that I have is I'm afraid the church has traded encounter for doctrine because doctrine's convenient. It's quick and it's easy. It doesn't require a lot of commitment. I just want to get my thinking right. So, I, you know, I, I believe with that doctrine. I don't believe this doctrine. This is what I hold to. And it's not changing. It's not transforming us because doctrine doesn't transform you. Encounter does. Encounter does. If you, if you study Paul's life, who's writing this, he had several encounters with God. <laughs> John John, the Bible says, was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, to understand that, you need to understand that, that he, because some of you are like, well, I just don't have time for that. It's just not really convenient. Um, you know, it's just hard enough for me to get here. Okay, John the Baptist was boiled alive, and then because he was too stubborn to die, they put him by himself on an island, and then it says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And for us, if the music gets a little louder, it's a song we don't like, or it's a little bit cold, or a little bit warm, or the lighting's just not right, we're like, well, I just can't even worship. <laughs> well, we could boil you alive and put you on an island by yourself if you want to do this biblically. <laughs> I 
here's my burden though. And the other night I was at the office and worked late and and um, and Julie and the kids were doing stuff, so I wasn't really in a hurry to get home. And in our office, if you've ever been in there, it it, it goes in a, it has a circle in it. it has a circle. Um, it has offices all around that circle, and then some in the middle and whatnot. But and I was just walking that circle praying, and I was really praying for you. I'm like, God, I, I wish that you would just stir our hearts to where we would desire an encounter. Because if we don't desire an encounter with you, there's something already screwed up about us. Like that's how far off we've gotten. We've so loved our doctrine that we don't even need encounter anymore. I don't need to know God. I know about him. I don't need to have experience with him. I can quote scripture. Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you're going to find eternal life. But these are those scriptures that testify of me. What he's saying is the word of God can't give you what an encounter with me can. Why don't you stand?